Oh, the dichotomy happening here is my total enthusiasm and excitement for us to step into Ash Wednesday together for the first time as Coastline, which I'm super excited about. And yet knowing that the theme and kind of rhythm of Ash Wednesday is a little bit more on the somber side. So give me a little bit of grace as I kind of, you know, start bouncing a little bit and then kind of find our kind of even keeled rhythm here. But welcome. As Nikki said, thank you so much for braving the wind. You made it. Um, And thank you for uh, creating space in your week to come and to contemplate Uh, the truth of the Lord, and to worship together, what a great privilege we have. Um, I've shared before, but I've run several marathons through the course of my life so far, and something that I know from each one of them is that each one of them takes a fair amount of training. There's a six-month kind of training window at a minimum, particularly if you're kind of like a beginner as I was, that you have to walk through, right? Like most of you, if we asked, hey, let's go run a marathon tomorrow, most of us would not make it, right? You maybe be able to walk, but you wouldn't necessarily be able to run 26 miles. And so you have to step into this time and this, this rhythm of preparation, right? You start with a two mile run and then move to a five mile run and kind of work your way up to running 12 miles a day and 14 and 16. And then you get to the dreaded like 20 miler where you're running through five different cities and you're amazed, you're like, I am my own personal electric vehicle, right? And so that's part of it. They only have you do one because it's so wear and tear on the body, but they figure if you can run 20 miles, then you're ready to go and you can run 26.2 miles. The reason I remind you of that is because there's a deep parallel, I believe, between distance running and our spiritual life with the Lord the reality that we can't just get out of the pew and go make it happen, that if we want a deep and rich and vibrant, growing, passionate love for Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that it takes time, it takes our energy, it takes a season of preparation. And that's what this season is, this Lenten season that we're beginning today with Ash Wednesday. And if you'll allow me, I'd like to spend the first few minutes just making sure everybody's on the same page with what, what are the meaning of the terms here. I want to kind of give you the, the what, where, and why behind Lent. The, the term comes from this Latin term, which means lengthen. So when we move past the winter solstice, December 21st, the shortest day of the year, the darkest day of the year, my wife's favorite day of the year, uh, the days start lengthening, don't they? They start getting longer. The sun starts setting later and later. And so that's where we get this term Lent. It's the season in the church calendar where we are pausing for a moment and stepping into this time and this season where we can contemplate our love for Christ and it lasts for 40 days. It begins today on Ash Wednesday and moves for 40 days all the way up to Holy Saturday, the day before we celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday. It doesn't count the the five Sundays or six Sundays that are part of it, but that's how it gets to 40 days. And there's some history here as to where this Lenten season, this Lenten practice came from. And really, I look at it as kind of three streams coming together. It started off as getting baptismal candidates ready in like the fourth century 
to celebrate their baptism on Easter. And so it was this rich time of preparation. But then it was also the church realized that this is a great season to be contemplating our devotion and love for the Lord. And so it's good for those that are wayward as well. And so they became a second stream in this season of Lent to be invited into the church. And then eventually the church realized collectively, the Church of God Universal said, hey, this is a good season. It's important that we all prepare for our life with the Lord and this intimate devotion we share of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so it's these three streams coming together that have made this kind of practice, this Lenten season, this celebrating 40 days as we look and we prepare our hearts for Easter. And what our hope at Coastline would be is that we would give you a platform in this season for you to examine your own life and for you to consider where is my love, where is my affection, where is my devotion for the one who died for me. And we hope that through that time of contemplation and preparation that there would be growth in our devotion and commitment to Christ. Now here we are on Ash Wednesday, and it's more than just the first day of Lent. It actually marks something significant. We acknowledge together some very important truths, and I want to highlight those for us in the few moments that I have with you. First, this anointing with ash. In a few minutes, Sean and I are going to get the privilege of anointing each one of you with ash and making a cross on your forehead. And if this is something new to you, you haven't practiced this before, let me give a little explanation as to why we do this. The first reason is that ash is a sign of our frailty and our need. If you'll put the verse up for me, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it's this great reminder Remember, the Lord created in day one and on the seventh day took a rest. And then in chapter two of Genesis, we go back to that sixth day of creation, the the pinnacle, the crown jewel of God's creation, humankind. And it slows down and it lengthens and gives us uh, understanding of what the Lord's doing in that season and in that day. And it says, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. See, we put ash on our forehead as a reminder that you and I, we came from the dust. Now, first it says something about the great power and majesty and creativity of our creator, Yahweh. That he could take an inanimate object and out of his creativity and power, breathe life into it and make it living. But we often pass over that because we're so familiar with that. Yeah, he formed humankind out of the dust, but we never stop for a moment and think about the substance of which you and I are made. And the fact that we are formed from the dust, what does that say about us? I think it very clearly communicates to us our lowliness before the Lord, our lack of power, our ever-present weakness and limited capacity. Because dust, friends, is numerous. 
and yet it's a weak substance, easily blown by the wind. Nothing is really built out of dust. We use straw, we use rock, we use stone. We, later on, we used metal. All of these are more sturdy, more durable, more, more permanent, and more lasting. This reveals our weakness and our need. It also reveals our dependence upon our Creator. Not only are we dependent in creation as He breathes life into our nostrils, but we are dependent after creation. It reveals the frailty, friends, of not only our present, but the frailty of our future. If you'll put up this on the screens for me, Genesis uh, chapter 3, verse 19. Remember, after the fall, after the curse, Adam is told, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So as we put this ash on our forehead, it's this reminder of not only our frailty, friends, but our mortality. The reality that all of us, that our bodies are actively wearing out. That your body is stronger today than it will be tomorrow. That our days are numbered and that all of us will experience death unless Christ comes back before. We like to hide from this truth in the society in which we live. We put those that are sick and we clump them together and we put them in the corner and we try not to think about them unless they are some of our loved ones. But it's in our face, whether we like it or not, that we too will pass, that we are, all will get old, and that our body will at some point fail. Scripture is very clear that from the dust we are formed and from the dust, friends, we are returning. And it's this reminder that significance in life is only found in a relationship with God. That we all will pass. And we will be gone and we won't remember the things that we have created with our hands. What is eternal is this relationship that we share with our living creator who has breathed the breath of life into us, the dust. We're frail and weak. We're subject to death. And the ash that we'll place on our foreheads today is an acknowledgement of our weakness and our current need for the Lord. But this ash on our forehead is also a symbol. It's a symbol of our sorrow. It's a sign of us mourning the reality of our sin before the Lord. Dust throughout scripture, particularly ash throughout scripture, is a sign of sorrow practiced by God's people for generations. In sadness and sorrow, they would put on sackcloth and put on ashes as a sign of their mourning. And though our bodies are frail and weak, our natures, as we know, are consistently weak. We struggle to consistently want life with God. In fact, we know that we often choose life without God, without his righteousness, and we choose our own path instead of his righteous path. Scripture says that in Romans 3.23 that we all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. 
Paul says it so well, and maybe you can relate to this statement. The good I want to do, I don't do, and the very evil I don't want to do, I keep on doing. So our frailty is not only in our body, but it's, it's in our nature. We struggle to live into God's holiness and justice. Ash today is a sign of our desire to repent from the ways that we miss God's mark, for the ways that we struggle to live into his righteous call, and for the ways that you and I struggle to live out justice, to take our righteousness outside of our own lives and homes and bring it into the world that we would be a light to the world that God hasn't given up on this sin-stoked and stained world. And he hasn't given up on us. And finally, as you are anointed with ash, the good news, the hope in it all, is that it's in the form of a cross. It's this reminder of God's grace and love toward us, people who are frail with an internal propensity to want things more than we want God. Our anointing with ash is this great reminder that God comes to us and says, I am the one who will redeem you. That yes, you will always have this problem with sin. And yet I know it. And I'm here and I've brought my son as an eternal solution to that reality. Romans 3.24 reminds us that Christ has redeemed us. It's language that he has bought us from our place of being separated from God and brought us back into this loving union with him through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's the reminder of the great truth of 1 John 1.9 that if we confess our sins, if we step into repentance, the Lord is faithful and just and he will always forgive his children. We are made of the dust and yet we live in the grace of God and so we make this cross on our forehead as a reminder that we are in desperate need physically. We are in desperate need spiritually. And yet God knows it. And he's provided a way in his son, Jesus Christ. The final idea that I want to leave us with is that repentance leads to renewal. If you grabbed your book, you saw that the name of our series is to repent and renew we were intentional about that, that what we see in Scripture is that if you and I step into this posture of repentance, of saying, God, I have it wrong. I want to follow you and trust you and trust that your hand is good even when I can't see it or know it or feel it. I want to run away from my propensity to think that I know better I want to run from my propensity to think that I can just do this life without you. When we step into that posture to say I'm going to turn and I'm going to live different. I'm going to turn from living my life and I'm going to turn toward living a life that is filled with the Spirit and leads toward God and his goodness and his righteousness. It's no accident that the first recorded message in the Gospel of Matthew from Jesus is a very pregnant yet simple term, or I should say phrase. 
Jesus simply says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Friends, we're going to be invited in this next part of our service to take stock, to just have a moment to examine where you've been the last year. And in this time of examination, we want to give everyone the opportunity in silent reflection just to yourself to speak to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, where have I gotten it wrong? Where have I walked in sin knowingly or unknowingly? Where have I held on to areas of sin that I'm not willing to give over or give up? It's a time simply to examine and then come with our hearts as best we can bear before our loving creator who's made a way for repentance in his son, Jesus Christ. This Lenten season is a time of preparation to draw near to the Lord. And so we invite everyone into this time to examine and repent. We'll have some questions on the side screens for you. Michael's going to play a little bit of background music. Maybe you already know where the area for you is. And if that's you, maybe you can close your eyes and just start having a conversation with the Lord right now. If you're a little confused as to what that might be, you're not really sure where to put a finger on things, we invite you into some of these questions on the slide. And again, this whole Lenten season, we're going to do our best to set the table and then give you space to do work with the Lord. So friends, spend some time and examine. And we'll finish this time with an opportunity for corporate confession that Sean will lead us in. But take these next few minutes. Seek the Lord together. And see where he might be calling you to let go and to trust him.
We're going to go into a time of worship. And as we do so, I want to kind of invite you into a kind of a season or a time of reflection and prayer just about Lent and how you can engage with it on another level this year. If you're new to Lent, if you grew up in an evangelical megachurch like a lot of us, a lot of this is kind of new. You know a little bit about it. A part of Lent is learning to give up something for this season, for these 40 days before Easter, to say no to something that uh, we care about, that we're used to, as a way of focusing ourselves upon Christ and focusing ourselves upon our spiritual journey. And so I want to invite you in this season, right now as we do this worship time, to kind of be asking God, what is it that you might consider giving up or stopping during this Lent season as a way of focusing your attention upon God? Now, it's not just simply stopping something. There may be something that you need to start in the season, start doing as a way of getting yourself uh, a little bit on track, a little bit kind of energized and in pursuit of Christ. So that's the second question. What, do you, what can you stop this season to focus yourself? And maybe what can you start? We're going to do about three songs here, just kind of stepping in. But ask God those questions. Uh, these things do not make us righteous. They don't make us any more holy. But they do help us train ourselves for holiness in the same way training ourselves kind of physically helps us perform athletically one day. Training ourselves spiritually helps us grow and mature in Christ. So I encourage you to step in, to enjoy this. It's not legalism, but it's an invitation for Christ to grow deeper with him. So consider that as we continue on in worship. 